This episode is presented by Neil Kelly. Welcome to the Dive Podcast presented by Willamette Week. I'm your host, Hank Sanders. Join us every Saturday for a deep discussion about the biggest stories of the week. Go behind the scenes with journalists, political figures, and newsmakers to get a unique look at our city. And also, I want to hear from you, the listener. So please send any questions, critiques, or sponsorship inquiries to my email at hsanders at wweek.com. Thank you so much and enjoy this episode of the Dive Podcast. Welcome back to the Dive Podcast. I'm your host, Tank Sanders. Great to have you in today for episode 61 of The Dive on February 26th. We are joined by Nigel Jaquis. The idea that this was a problem brought on by the pandemic is, is it's just not credible. And U.S. Senator Ron Wyden. There's going to be a ripple effect through Oregon and nationwide. But before we get to our interviews, we bring you the biggest stories of the week. This is the 90 Second News Flash. Folks, the face masks are coming off sooner than expected. March 19th is the beginning of the end of Oregon's indoor mask mandate. Do you remember Jeremy Christian? That's the man who's serving a life sentence for that horrible double murder back in 2017 on the Portland Max train. Jeremy's brother is now suspected in a North Portland homicide that took place on the 16th of February. Thanks to Tess Risky for breaking that story, and we'll keep you updated as we find out more. We may not be getting a professional baseball team like some may have hoped, but a Vancouver-based billionaire wants to bring women's basketball back to our city. Kirk Brown is hoping the Trailblazers will be receptive to having someone with whom to share their arena. We'll keep you posted on that story as well. In less positive sports news, not only is C.J. McCollum gone, but Blazers star point guard Damian Lillard, his season's over, he told Draymond Green on Draymond Green's podcast. It's a mess right now over at Moda. The season's basically shot for everybody, and I'm not sure I'd want to be sharing a locker room with them right at this moment, but hey, to each their own. Good luck on getting that uh, women's team uh, to Portland. For food this week, check out Piccolo's Corner. They're supposed to have a killer breakfast. And for drinks, we are bringing back an old classic, and that is Holy Ghost. We've shouted them out before, but we got to do it again, mostly because of their love of puns. I am a sucker for puns. They call their uh, their concoction that they shake the drinks in, they call that a shake Gyllenhaal. Who doesn't love that? I mean, that just brings a smile to your face, unless you're a Swifty, in which case you may not want to go there. And that's that, folks. This has been the 90 Second News Flash, and now a word from our sponsor. Are you ready to run on the sun? Not literally, of course, that's crazy talk. But are you ready for solar power? Because it's the most sustainable energy force that we have on this planet. And Neil Kelly is here to help you turn to solar. Neil Kelly is a leader in the design, installation, and maintenance of residential solar energy systems in Oregon. Not only that, but they also have experts that will help you access sustainable energy tax credits that will give you incentives to reduce as much as 50% of system costs when you 
move to solar energy. So Neil Kelly is there to hold your hand through the whole process, saving you as much money as you possibly can, and helping with the installation and custom making your solar needs to fit your home or business. Visit neilkelly.com solar to learn more and to schedule a complimentary solar assessment, or give them a call at 503-288-7461. There they can help you with a complimentary assessment that will tailor make for you how solar energy can impact your business and your home specifically. Again, neilkelly.com slash solar or 503-288-7461. Now back to the show. Our first interview is with Willamette Week reporter Nigel Jaquist. Nigel has spent the last three months uncovering a financial scandal from one of the most wealthy and powerful Oregon families. For more on this, let's run the tape. Nigel, let's start with this. Who is Robert Pamplin and why should we care about him? Robert Pamplin uh, is an 80-year-old industrialist. Uh, He owns uh, 24 newspapers in Oregon, including the Portland Tribune and many of the uh, papers around the metro region. He also owns uh, Ross Island Sand and Gravel. Uh, He owns an 81,000 acre cattle ranch near Madras, a 900 acre berry and nut farm in Yamhill County. He owns a string of textile mills in the south called uh, Mount Vernon Mills. For many years, Pamplin was on the Forbes list of the 400 wealthiest Americans. he inherited much of his mother as money from his father, uh, Robert Pamplin Sr., who was the, uh, for many years, uh, uh, president and CEO of Georgia Pacific. So th- they've uh, large and extensive holdings. They've made a big mark. Uh, the Pamplins and Bob Pamplin uh, Jr. Uh, have made a big mark in Oregon. Yeah, money and power, simple as that. You've spent three months now investigating his empire. You've found lawsuits associated to unpaid bills, unpaid income tax, and and then a third issue that we'll get on, we'll we'll talk about later on. Uh, But how did you find this information? Just before we get into it, how did you discover this? So um, as a sort of a routine matter, I uh, look look through tax liens, which were filed by the IRS and by the Oregon Department of Revenue against people who have not paid their income taxes. And I look through them because they're an indicator that a business or an individual uh, is in financial trouble. And, you know, that's usually nobody's business and not newsworthy. But if it uh, involves a large employer like uh, the R.B. Pamplin Corporation uh, and an individual who has always been uh, perceived to be one of the wealthiest people in Oregon. Uh, that caught my attention. And this was back in 2020 that I started seeing these liens, which led me to look for lawsuits. And there are many that show that uh, R.B. Pampin and its subsidiaries, including Ross Island, uh, were not uh, paying basic obligations to creditors and to, to union uh, pension trusts and union benefit trusts all of which was really uh, kind of incongruous and contrary to the uh, perception that Pamplin uh, had a fortune. So I want to talk about what you just said there, the pension fund, the other topics that you, uh, that, that, that you claim is going on with the Pamplin group, uh, failure to pay bills. Um, you have evidence for, for that failure to pay income tax. That makes sense to me, but the pension fund explained to me as a layman, 
what is going on with the pension fund pension fund? Why are people calling this a looting and, and what's the issue going on here? The biggest obligation that uh, the RB Pamplin Corporation was struggling to meet was its annual contribution to this defined uh, benefit pension plan, which has about 2,400 beneficiaries. So it, in recent years, its contribution required, legally required, was about $3.5 million a year. In 2018, what we see from records is that the trustee of the plan, who is Bob Pamplin Jr. himself, sole trustee, changed the plan's policies to allow him to contribute real estate instead of cash. Now, the Department of Labor regulates defined benefit pension plans, and it doesn't really like real estate and pension plans because real estate is illiquid, meaning it may be hard to sell or hard to sell quickly. It often has environmental issues, especially if it's been an industrial use. It's just a riskier investment than bonds or, or blue chip stocks. But what Pamplin started doing in 2018 and has done increasingly since is transfer real estate, sometimes in lieu of contributions, but sometimes outright selling that real estate uh, to the pension plan. So why does that matter? Well, the pension plan, which is worth about $98 million, is, is for the sole benefit of retirees, not for the benefit of the Pamplin operating companies. And so what he has done is put real estate that was either unused or underused into the plan and taken cash out. People say the devil works hard, but the IRS works harder. I mean, it seems like, I mean, if you miss your, on your taxes by a couple thousand dollars, the U.S. government's pretty good at getting, at getting after this. Uh, for something like this that is illegal, the uh, the workers at the Pamplin Group are owed this money. Why hasn't this blown up? Why haven't there Why haven't there been any raids or any uh, hammer coming down on this group? Well, I don't know the answer to that. I have spoken to the Department of Labor uh, in San Francisco, which is where their regional office is, their federal agency, and I have asked them questions uh, both general questions about how this is supposed to work uh, and clearly what the uh, RB Pamplin Corp and its pension fund have done is not how it's supposed to work. When you brought this issue up to Pamplin, uh, their side responded by saying, quote, during COVID, there was great disruption. We have resolved these issues or are managing these issues and we are emerging stronger than ever. Does this response satisfy you? Is it open and shut now? Uh, no, it, it doesn't satisfy me because I can see that the, when a tax lien is filed and when a lawsuit is filed, it specifies uh, for what period did the person or company not pay taxes. And in a lawsuit, it specifies for what period or time did the uh, company not pay its obligations. So the tax liens that were filed in 2020 were for 2019. The lawsuits which are regularly filed, all, many precede the pandemic. So the, the idea that this was a problem brought on by the pandemic is, is it's just not credible because the liens and tax and lawsuits show that it's not credible. 
Um, you outline the Pamplin Empire was built on a textile business, local reporting, retail, Christian music. I mean, this is like, uh, th these are not industries that are really flourishing these days. How much of Pamplin's downfall can be attributed to just hitting the triple cherries on industries that are dying away versus was there actual mismanagement going on? You know, I, I, I think that another thing that Pamplin likes to say is that he and his father are two of the greatest businessmen who've ever lived in the United States. And um, uh, somehow going out of the concrete business in the middle of the biggest building boom Oregon has ever witnessed, surprising. The Christian business, they shut down because they couldn't find any buyers. They got in and out of radio. They got into radio as radio was collapsing. Uh, Pamplin, uh, the Pamplin Corporation made a very large investment in the newspaper business 20 years ago when the, the business, the bottom was starting to fall out of that business. Um, so they, the timing has been, the timing has been tough. Um, you can't really point to places where uh, the opposite happened, where they got into technology or they got into an industry or a business that was really taking off. So. Look, uh, I, I'm not a business person, um, and it's difficult to make money in an industry. But they have had a um, they've had a tough go of things over the past 20 years. Yeah, and just finishing up here, I do want to circle back to the issue of the pensions because it seems to be the big issue. Like you said, it's more serious than not paying your taxes or not paying a couple of bills here and there. So, for on the other side, you know, people could say, hey. Owning real estate, the like the Pamplin Group said, you know, the value does increase. It was an it was investment decision that we made to benefit the pensioners, the people who rely on the pension. It's fairly liquid. It's not as liquid as cash, but it's not you know it's not unliquid. Um, what do you say to that? Like, what do you say to the people who are saying, well, at least they're not like they're not taking and running with the money. They're they're still putting it into solid investments. Well. You know, the, the, the Department of Labor is very clear that they don't think that real estate is a prudent investment in most cases for uh, pension funds. They particularly, in fact, they call a transaction where a related party like the RB Pamplin Corporation sells to the Pension Pamplin, Pamplin Pension Fund a prohibited transaction. It's prohibited because it's inherently a conflict of interest and it is not in the best interest of the the pensioners. As the pension fund trustee, Pamplin's job is to look out for the best uh, interests and only to look out for the best interests of the pensioners. So it, he can't really be doing that if he's also looking out for the interests of the operating companies that are selling that real estate or contributing that real estate. In both cases, they want the highest possible value. So yes, of course, there are instances when owning real estate is a great investment. But it's not a great investment for people who are nearing the end of their lives, who are entirely dependent on their pensions and want the uh, security of the highest uh, quality stocks and bonds or cash. And that's why the Department of Labor uh, frowns on these transactions. They, they may be prudent for a, a young person. They may be prudent for a person who's wealthy and has a diversified portfolio, but that's not who pensioners are. Nigel, thanks so much for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you, Hank.
The biggest story this week, not in Oregon, not in Portland, but the entire world has been what's going on in Ukraine. This week, Russia moved troops into the country in what the West is calling the beginning of an unprovoked war. I had the chance to sit down with the chair of the Senate Finance Committee, who also happens to be U.S. Senator Ron Wyden from Oregon. I asked him what the war means for Oregonians like you and me. All right, Senator, thanks so much for joining us. I think a lot of people all over the country, Oregon included, are really terrified about what's going on in Ukraine. Uh, Please tell us how this will affect us. million miles away, it might be hard to see how it'll affect us. But what, what can you what can Oregonians expect? Well, certainly when you have Vladimir Putin laying out what I believe is a big agenda to try to recreate the old Soviet Union. That's his bottom line. You know, remember, this is somebody who not very long ago wrote a horse without a shirt and he's always boasting and uh, like he's always had these grandiose kind of visions that has enormous implications for Oregon in terms of economics, uh, in terms of trade and tariffs and uh, global instability. I mean, today we live in a world with modern communications, modern transportation, all of these major global events ripple right through to the main streets in in Oregon. And I I believe uh, Putin's unprovoked assault on a sovereign country was based on blatant lies. It comes right from the darkest chapters of a dictator's playbook. And we widens know a bit about escaping the savagery of a dictator in in Europe. I'm the chairman of the Senate Finance Committee. We are going to up the ante with respect to these economic conditions as strongly as possible, repeatedly. And as far as I'm concerned, we ought to just make sure that Vladimir Putin has only enough rubles left to put him in a wheelbarrow and push him through Red Square. I want to just get a little bit more specific. I mean, we've we've read in newspapers and front and heard from the president that we can expect higher gas prices. Give me one other effect that we can feel we can expect to feel as Oregonians in our wallet of how this war will affect us in our wallet, in our homes. Give me one more specific example of what we can expect. First of all, we're going to be pushing policies to make sure we protect, you know, Oregonians. I mean, certainly the president is looking at ways with the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, for example, to try to hold down uh, gas prices. Again, as chairman of the Finance uh, uh, Committee, I'm looking right now at uh, what we're seeing as very high uh, prices uh, at gas pumps right around the corner from my house in Southeast Portland. And we're looking at ways in which uh, the oil uh, industry, which is making record uh, profits. So we have, you know, Oregonians getting clobbered at the pump, the oil industry making record profits. They ought to provide some of the uh, money in order to get relief for Oregonians at the pump. Fair enough. And then back to your role as the chair of the Senate Finance Committee. What has the week been like? What have you been up to? And has it shifted from COVID maybe probably for a while to now Ukraine? What's, what's been your focus over this past week? There's, there's been a lot to, to, to juggle. I mean, you just asked about the whole question of economic sanctions and what we're doing in the Finance Committee and the implications for for prices that's taken a very substantial amount of my time because the reality, what is going on in uh, Ukraine right now 
means that global markets, there's going to be a ripple effect through Oregon and nationwide. And I'm looking for ways in which to uh, make sure that uh, Oregonians who you know, otherwise can face uh, additional increases at, at gas pumps, trade disruptions, supply uh, chain uh, shutdowns, that we're doing as much as we can to protect that. And it's taking a lot of my time apropos of what, what uh, has changed. Yeah. So you just had just the other day, a milestone of 1000 town halls in Oregon. I want to ask you, because I think a lot of politicians will do town halls and they promise when they run that they'll do town halls, you know, but most politicians don't do a thousand town halls. What have you learned about Oregon from town hall 800 on? Like, like why have you found it important to keep, to keep doing this? It is even more important because as we face additional polarization, for example, People continue to distrust and voice skepticism about government, and nothing chips away at that kind of frustration and skepticism, which has certainly grown. You asked about what's changed since town hall meeting number 800. People are even more skeptical, and for understandably so reasons about what government is doing. It's compounded by the fact that Oregon is 3,000 miles away from Washington, D.C., and sometimes folks think that D.C. might as well be Mars for all the practical connection. I want to ask you now about Joe Biden, President Biden's uh, Supreme Court pick. I want to get your initial thoughts, and I've got one follow-up question for you after that. Well, for, for, first of all, um, I'm very pleased that uh, President Biden is making history here, nominating the first Black woman as a associate uh, justice. I have supported her in the past in the United States Senate. Obviously, we have uh, the process going forward to fulfill my constitutional duty as a U.S. Senator and give advice and consent uh, to this uh, uh, nominee. I intend to uh, to do that. I'll have uh, have questions, but I'm very much looking forward uh, to getting through this process and supporting the president's nominee. And then I want to ask you this about the nominee. I think uh, Biden made a lot of headlines by saying that he was only going to look for a nominee who identifies as a person of color and a non-male. Um, you know, part of me thinks, wow, I know how important that 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 is. It's super important to have a more diverse, diverse court. But why not? Why make that announcement? Did you have issue at all with the fact that he said that he was only looking at that pool? First of all, I want to tell you what I said yesterday and numerous kinds of uh, discussions around around the state. I don't think diversity and excellence are mutually exclusive. I think it is possible to address both. And uh, I believe we've got a nominee who will illustrate that uh, that uh, principle. I want to ask you my last question here about the former Blazer, who, is, uh, who was one of your friends, uh, Ennis Cantor. Um, he has been in the crosshairs a little bit of the NBA. He has denounced things going on in China. Uh, he's changed his name to Ennis Freedom. He has become kind of a darling uh, among CPAC uh, on, the, on the conservative side. Have you talked to Ennis about this, uh, about what's going on to him? Ennis and I bumped into each other a couple of times in the Senate corridors just uh, about a week or so ago. And we said, look, we're going to get together and uh, catch up on a whole bunch of things. Ennis is a really idealistic young guy. 
He cares very deeply about you know, human rights. He knows that uh, uh, I, uh, I feel very strongly about uh, uh, human rights and I feel very strongly about uh, fighting for human rights in China, for example. I just got uh, through the Senate before we broke, uh, confirmed the uh, human rights uh, uh, leader for the United States at the UN. And I focused on a host of uh, practices that I know uh, Ennis Cantor feels strongly about, as, as do I. So I think we'll have a good, good conversation. I look forward to talking to him. I'm glad that he's keeping his idealism. And I sure don't take a backseat to anybody in terms of being tough on uh, on China, and uh, uh, this is another um, area where we can have discussions that reflect common spaces. Senator Wyden, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Okay. Well, folks, that's our show. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Dive Podcast. Come back next week, same time, same place, Saturday for episode 62. Till then, have fun, keep reading, stay safe, like, share, follow. You know the drill. That really helps us. For Willamette Week, I'm Hank Sanders. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Dive Podcast presented by Willamette Week. For more information on this podcast or the biggest stories in Portland, go to wweek.com and follow Willamette Week on all socials. We're doing some really cool things related to the podcast on our Instagram and Twitter. Includes giveaways, behind the scenes, etc. A lot of cool things coming your way, so give those a follow. Special thanks to our guests for joining us, and thank you to Aaron Mesh, Mark Zussman, and Brian Panganibon, as well as the entire Willamette week family last but not least thank you so much to heather witty and ampmusic.co for the music that you hear on this podcast for willamette week i'm hank sanders this has been the dive podcast Music